You are now listening to In Conversation with Mr. O, the podcast dedicated to machinery and equipment maintenance, reliability, and operations. It is presented by MRO Magazine, Canada's industry voice for maintenance and asset managers since 1985. I'm your host, Mario Suwinski, editor of MRO Magazine. Our guest today is Sean Case Moore, who has spent over two decades working in and supporting manufacturers. His career spans leadership roles in automotive, packaging, pharmaceuticals, electronics, power generation, and most recently as the past president of Excellence in Manufacturing Consortium, or EMC for short. Through his own experiences, as well as those of his clients, Sean's learned why and how safety plays a critical role, not only in ensuring employees' well-being, but to support an engaged and high-performing workforce. All right, thank you, Sean, for joining us on uh, our podcast on In Conversation with Mr. O. Can you give our listeners a little bit of your background? Sure. Um, I think what's most relevant, obviously, I've spent uh, over 20 years working in manufacturing, uh, early part of my career. And then for the last 12 plus years, I've worked with a lot of manufacturers. Uh, but the, the roles I held in the earlier part of my career were everything from frontline supervisor all the way up to uh, plant manager. I spent a lot of time, uh, even in my my latest role, I was uh, interim president at the Excellence Manufacturing Consortium. Spent a lot of time touring facilities, talking to plant managers, as well as frontline leaders. So just spent my, my much of my career in the manufacturing environment and, and leading teams and working with teams. And, and so obviously safety and safety culture is one of those areas that you, you know, I've experienced uh, both the good and the bad. Uh, so I think that's probably the most relevant to everybody joining us here today. You know, you mentioned you toured a lot of plants when you were at the EMC. Can you give us a little bit of what you saw, I guess, positive and negative? Well, sure. I mean, I think, and I'll treat this obviously in a generalized fashion, but I mean, depending on the the, the sector that you serve. So so manufacturers and even in the manufacturers that I, I work with today, um, you know, I might work with the job shop. So they might be more focused on you know, producing uh, customized items versus repetitive manufacturing. So those environments can be a little more chaotic because every time you bring in a new product that you're going to manufacture, you're going to build, uh, that that can change the dynamic in, in the entire workspace, different materials, different layout, different jigs, that kind of thing. In a repetitive manufacturing environment, you typically have a little more predictability around the products, the flow of material through the plant, um, maintenance schedules for equipment, that kind of thing. So, you know, what I found is it's it's oftentimes a little more tricky to um, ensure safety when you're in a dynamic and changing environment versus one that's a little more stable. Now, that doesn't mean, you know, I've seen uh, both sides of the coin. So I've seen facilities that are organized, neat, that, that the people, the teams obviously believe in safety. They speak about safety. They have safety meetings. All the necessary guarding is in place. And I've seen other facilities where you would think that would be the case and it's not. So I think the key is, as we're going to discuss here today, is, is getting the people, uh, the employees and frontline leadership on board uh, with safety and making that kind of a, a culture for the organization. And because at the end of the day, and I was looking it up here before our conversation, but at the end of the day, I'm sure everybody's aware that the cost of safety is atrocious and it's not just the direct cost. Uh, I worked at a facility where there was an accident where a forklift accidentally drove off the end of a shipping dock. They got stuck kind of between the trailer and the shipping dock. 
Um, and luckily nobody was hurt, no material was damaged, uh, the, the forklift wasn't damaged, but you know, you, you always think about what if, what if somebody had been standing there? What if the, the truck had pulled away? Um, so I, I personally encountered a lot of situations and it, it all comes back to the people, the teams that are in these facilities, if they believe in and are committed to safety, that makes all the difference in the world because fewer safety incidents, obviously, or even near misses, uh, results in more uptime, uh, higher levels of productivity and higher engagement. People are happier to come to work when they know it's a safe work environment, which means they're going to show up and show up to work. So, I mean, all the direct and indirect costs associated with safety, it, it's critically important. And I've toured so many different facilities. You know, I've seen the, the, the good, bad and the indifferent. Um, and most importantly, I've been able to kind of see or identify the, the results when you do invest in that safety culture. Uh, now, you touched on it briefly, but what, what would you say makes you the expert to get employees to buy into a safety culture? Well, and I'll turn that around a bit. I mean, I, you know, expert's a strong word to use, but <laughs> what I consider myself is somebody who understands how to get people uh, to get on board, to get involved. You know, again, what makes me the person that's able to say that? Well, it's it's the career path that I've led. And, and I've learned a lot, even in the in the recent book that I released, The Unstoppable Organization, where I went around and interviewed a lot of uh, plant managers and presidents of manufacturing facilities, some of which are here, right here in Canada. And, you know, to try and understand what do they believe is, is the, the key ingredients to getting a high performing, highly profitable business. It always came back to people. And that's what I wrote that book about is how to get your people involved. And again, safety is one of those things you can't, safety is not a top down initiative. It's not a matter of we can force safety. If, if I tell you, put this guard in place because it's here for your safety, you still can choose whether or not you do it. Now, if I catch you not doing it, that's, that's a different issue, but there's still a decision to be made. So the people in the plant floor really need to, to buy in. And if they see that there's not a seriousness, and not an effort behind safety, then a lot of times they don't buy in and that's where you start to have problems. So I guess I'd say, you know, am I the expert? Well, I, I, I do consider myself somebody who can get people on board and to buy in and to get involved because that's something I've done my entire career and I've studied uh, the CEOs, presidents, plant managers that have been successful doing so and then in turn applied those tactics myself. So. Um, so yeah, I guess if that makes me an expert, then that's that's what you can call me. So now we have your credentials. Can you tell us about some of the basics of getting employees engaged in following a safe work environment? Sure. I mean, in, in no particular order, because again, I think it's, uh, I mentioned this before, but it's important to, to reiterate that every environment's different, right? So every company is different. The culture within each company is different. The people, the teams, the skill set, everything is different. So you, it's pretty hard to lay a blanket and say, here you go. But there are some kind of fundamental things that need to be considered if you really want to get people involved in, in a safe work environment. So, so number one, you really have to, to demonstrate from a top down, bottom up you know, approach that, that the safety is important. So what does that mean? Well, a lot of times I see where senior leaders know that safety is important and they might even invest in some initiatives. But if you get down to the front line, so employees, even frontline leaders, if they're being pushed, and this is just an example for productivity, for output, and, and sometimes at the risk of safety. So maybe doing something that it isn't 100% safe or that they believe could be done safer, but they know they got to hit their numbers. That's a, that's a disconnect. There's a gap there, right? Because there's a gap between what the frontline leaders and the frontline employees understand is important, productivity in this example, versus what the senior leaders you know, want and believe is important, which is safety. 
How do you address that gap? Well, that's where you need to really start to take a look at your communication and your efforts around that communication. And that ties into the second point, that if, if safety is important, there needs to constantly be efforts behind improvements. So what I mean by that is employees need to continuously see improvements in the safety of the facility. They need to see equipment being updated over time. They need to see things happening that reinforce uh, the safety. And an example I'll give you is, is one that I see quite often is, you know, pretty much every facility I've ever been in has lines painted on the floor or walkways. But how often do those get repainted? Are those kept in, in good condition? I want to say pristine condition because you're using them and driving on them with forklifts. But nonetheless, are they kept up to speed? Or were they done five, 10 years ago and they pretty much wore off, right? Something as simple as that, if you're investing a little bit of time and money in keeping those up to date, keeping your signage up to date, that just shows employees, it demonstrates to them that safety is important. When you start to let things go a little bit, that sends a different message, right? It's no different than you and I in our car. I mean, if you're driving around and I see you're driving different trucks all the time, um, if we're driving around a vehicle and it's filthy dirty and it's it, and we leave it that way, what does that tell others about how important that vehicle is to us? But if I see your vehicle and every day in the parking lot at work, it's crystal clean, like it's pristine all the time. That just That just tells me without you saying a word that I know you care about your car, how it looks, how it runs and how you maintain it. It's the same when it comes to facilities, right? It's people have to see and experience that safety. And then the last thing that's probably the bigger animal to tackle when it comes to getting people, um, you know, kind of involved and excited about safety. And that sometimes people don't put those words together. It's overcoming habits, right? And that's the greatest challenge. And you're trying to build this culture that focuses on safety. You need to overcome habits. And the way you do that, I mean, there's different ways, but the biggest way you do that is to, to constantly work with people to test their assumptions and to trial new things. So what I mean by that is if somebody brings you, uh, you know, an idea, hey, I think we could do this safer, then okay, let's let's talk about it. And then let that in person kind of run with trying to make improvements in that area. Let them lead it. Doesn't mean they're gonna make the change themselves, but that, let them be the cheerleader for that change. Because what you're doing then is creating a culture of involvement and you're breaking habits by allowing people to take charge of their safety. And again, I'm not saying they're the one being the safe person or you know welding on that extra guard or painting the floor, but if they're kind of leading that initiative, that moves the ownership to the employee and that starts to create a whole different environment. It starts to break habits where people are just used to, I told my boss, he did nothing about it and here we are. So those are the three things I'd suggest. Now going through, uh, you said habits are very important. How, how important is training? in that respect? You know, I think training, obviously it depends on the individual. So if I've got somebody who's new to manufacturing or new to my facility or new to this, you know, maybe the product that we're, we're, we're building or manufacturing, obviously there's training that's required. You know, when somebody comes into a facility, they need to understand where the risks are as far as safety goes, where the hazards are, how to deal with those hazards. Um, and, but I mean, let's say you take somebody who's been around 15, 20 years. And they already know that stuff. How do I get them out of habits that they might have acquired over the years uh, in order to ensure that they're safe? Because all of us over time, again, we, we just tend to lose our focus, right? So again, go back to that analogy we had of, of, of a car. I like to keep my car clean, but I find when I get the dead of winter, like January, February, I give up cleaning it because you, you could do it every day and you just drive down the road and it's covered in, in uh, 
dirt. So this year, same thing. I'd probably been two or three weeks. I hadn't even gone through a car wash. There was no sense. And I was driving down the road and the car was shaking like crazy. And I thought I must have you know, thrown a wheel weight or something. Something must be off here. So I took it to a garage. They took the wheels off and there was actually sand caked in the inside of the wheels that they had to scrape off. And that's what was throwing everything out of balance. Just, and, and they said, do you not wash your car? I said, holy cow, if you knew me, you would never answer the, ask that question. But I had got into the habit over the years. Ah, what's the sense right now? There's no sense taking care of my car. It's just going to get dirty again. Well, it's like safety. We, we tend to start saying, ah, there's no sense in worrying about that, right? Because it's not going to make any difference. Wh who cares about the painted floors? I know where the lines are. Well, you know, yeah, you might know where lines are, but what about guests that come to the facility? And if those lines were very clear and we invested in keeping them clear, keeping them painted and fresh, would that reinforce where you should be walking and where you shouldn't? And again, I'm trying to use examples that all of your audience can relate to. Now, what can you companies do to make it easier for a safety culture to develop? I think there's a, a few things and we, you know, these, these answers will probably start to meld a little bit, but number one is, is walk the talk. It's very difficult for employees to hear that safety is important, but then walk out in the shop floor or the plant floor and see things that are not safe or things that are falling apart. So um, one of the things that I've noted in the last number of years is a lot of uh, manufacturers, especially, but also anybody in the warehousing business is going into putting those blue lights on their forklifts that project out quite a piece in front and behind. And, you know, there's there's a small cost to that. And if you have a lot of forklifts, that can obviously add up. But the impact that can have is huge because you see the blue light well before you turn a corner, right? But it, it gets down to you have to be able to, if, if safety is important, there is going to be an investment. There's going to be an investment in, as you mentioned, the training, at least initially, or if we bring in a new piece of equipment, I'm going to have to do a lot of training around this equipment and how to be safe around the equipment. If we make changes to the facility, there's going to be training around new risks and new areas to avoid or what to be aware of. But we also need to make sure that we're willing to make that investment, not only in training and in time and in communication, but in money, right? Because, you know, it, it does take money to maintain a facility, to maintain equipment and to continue to meet uh, requirements that are constantly changing. When, when there's an accident that happens, uh, the appropriate authorities, right, try to put measures in place and apply them so it doesn't happen again. Now that, you know, sometimes that can be a, a touchy subject to get into a discussion around, but the point is you have to be willing to make that investment because again, employees do see that. They might not acknowledge it, but they see it and they understand in turn how important uh, safety is. You also, as I've kind of suggested in some of these examples, have to allow employees to you know, become involved. And, and the easiest way to do that is let them identify uh, safety issues. And when they identify and bring them forward, act on them and act on them quickly. Don't set it aside and say, well, we'll look at that next quarter when we have our meeting, right? If it's a potential safety issue or it could turn into a safety issue, you need to act quickly because that suggests again that this is a priority. And in just those two things alone, walking the talk, but also allowing employees to identify and even cheerlead, even get involved in solutions is, is kind of the foundation, if you will, the fundamentals of starting to create the culture. The problem becomes a lot of leaders, a lot of frontline leaders, even a lot of folks that are just working in the, in the plant, when they see stuff that's a problem and they don't see it acted on right away, or if they do see it acted on right away, they may not say anything about it, but they are experiencing that. And it is creating a shift in their mind around what's important, right? So if, if, for example, we were to bring in a new piece of equipment into a plant, right? That sends a message to people. It, and it sends a number of messages. It sends a message that the company's willing to invest, 
that the company has new customers and is looking for new business, right? And those are all exciting things for employees as far as job stability goes, but they're not necessarily all going to come up to you and say, hey, this is great news. And a lot of times people that are, you know, plant managers, presidents that are making this investment are surprised that nobody does. But a lot of employees just will keep to themselves. But they, you know, this investment that you're making in safety and time training and money, it does send a message. It, and it is being heard and experienced. And that's, again, what starts to shift the culture when people start to take more ownership of safety. So the, the perception of safety, as in getting new equipment, has a big, big impact. Absolutely. And, and the challenge becomes, as I've seen, is that if employees don't jump up and down for excitement or don't all acknowledge, hey, this is great, you're making this investment. I mean, some will, but a lot won't. And then what I find is a lot of leaders say, oh, I'm making all this investment, and nobody's saying anything. Well, just because they're not saying something doesn't doesn't mean they don't see it, they don't experience it, they don't acknowledge it. What they're waiting for, in my experience, is either A, for you to stop making this, and then they can say, see, I told you so, right? You weren't serious about this. Or B, they're just sitting back saying, hey, this is this is good news, right? I'm going to watch to see what keeps happening. And, and a lot of times that's the case. Just because you don't hear from the employees doesn't mean there's not a concern. And, and I mean, if, you, if you're a believer in engagement surveys, a little bit of a different topic, but it's the whole idea that most of what employees are thinking is not what they're saying. Okay. Uh, yeah, they'll be the, the boisterous ones that'll speak up and, and share their, their excitement as well as their discontent. Uh, but the majority of people don't do that. So you still need to move forward and act in a manner that suggests that safety is a concern and people will recognize and will respond, but it's going to take time, obviously. Now you touched on this briefly, but how much do costs impede the implementation of safety? I think, it, you know, it's like every other answer. I think the answer is it depends. So I'll share an example. Um, you know, I think a lot of plants, for you know, for example, have invested in things that help them reduce energy. So they've invested in different kinds of lighting and different kinds of heating systems. And when they're looking at new equipment, they're looking at efficiencies. But in every president or plant manager I've ever come across, there, there's been an initiative come across their desk to make an investment that will in turn in turn yield some sort of energy savings, but at, at some point the return on investment isn't there. Meaning, okay, I do the lights and I get, it's, it's a small investment and I get my payback maybe in a year or two or six months, whatever it is. But then you reach a point where you say, well, if I put this massive thing in, the payback's 10 years, but you know, wow, it's, it's just the greatest thing ever. And they said, well, look, we just can't afford it. So there's always a threshold. And I find the same thing happens in safety, okay, is that, yeah, it's easy to paint the floor and put some new signs up and hang some mirrors. And yeah, we'll put some blue lights in the forklift. But if somebody brings forth a big investment, hey, we need to change all of the guarding within the facility or we need it. Sometimes those investments are difficult to swallow, right? Because it's not like you're necessarily sitting around with a bucket of money waiting to spend it on safety or in anything else for that matter. So if you take an approach where you're constantly trying to make improvements along the way and where there's a big investment, you're sitting down with your employees and look, this is something we're looking at. We know we need to do. We're meeting the basic safety requirements, maybe from an OSHA standpoint, as an example. But we're not, you know, we're not at a point where we can afford to invest in this ultimate solution, but we are going to work our way there. We do plan to do that the next X number of years. At least you're communicating your intent. And as long as you follow through with that intent and keep communicating, people will stick with you. But what I find, again, what happens a lot of times is you, you know, the, the plant, plant manager, the president reaches a point where they say, well, there's a big investment made here. The ROI is pretty hard to see. We're already meeting the necessary criteria. We're already meeting the necessary uh, uh, guidelines, if you will. Um, so uh, we, we're not going to bother. 
And, and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. But then you need to communicate that in the proper way to your people to keep them engaged, to keep them interested. Otherwise, they think, well, we, we could have done this. We didn't. So I guess they don't care about safety. And, that, and unfortunately, that's what can start to fester. See, communication is kind of the key as you move forward and continue to make these investments uh, in both equipment, training, time, et cetera. So basically pay a little bit now so that you don't have to pay later in case you have an accident or an injury or heaven forbid a death. Absolutely. I mean, I think the, the you know, the deaths and the, even the, if you look at the stats around safety in, in Canada, uh, we're, we're, you know, amongst the, the more safer facilities, uh, you know, in Canada than, than there is across the world. But I mean, there's always, if you believe in continuous and never ending improvement, there's always something more to be done. I mean, these blue lights, they're kind of a new invention in the last number of years. I mean, there was probably something before that, but they weren't near as common and they're a great idea. So staying abreast of new new technologies, staying kind of in tune with new things that are happening, that, you know, getting out and touring other facilities in your area can be a great way to open your eyes to new opportunities to improve savings. And most importantly, how to do that in a cost-effective manner. If somebody's already done what you're thinking of doing, they've probably done the research and figured out how to do it as, as cost-effectively as possible, but still kind of hit the objective. So those tours, visiting with peers, all those kinds of things are important in order to kind of help you, uh, you know, maximize the value of your investment. I guess that's the best way to say it. Uh, would you be able to give us the top five or top, amount of things that need to be done to make a company as safe as possible? Sure. I, th I think, um, you know, we've touched on a few of these now. So just kind of give you an overview here. Uh, obviously, you always want to protect employees. And that goes without saying, and every one of your, you know, your uh, listeners understands that. But, you know, what does that mean? Well, basic guarding needs to be in place. You need to have, you know, perimeters, you need to have walkways, all those things. And you have to look at, as I started uh, this conversation, you have to look at, are we in a dynamic environment that's constantly changing? Or is it more static where, you know, people and, and equipment generally doesn't move too much, it stays put, because how you approach each area will be different. And you need to be a lot more active or, or proactive even in the dynamic environment where you're planning and your safety requirements are constantly changing. Then you need to make sure that, you know, your employees understand that you want their suggestions and most importantly that you act on them quickly when they bring them forward and where you get into a situation where the suggestion doesn't seem to warrant a you know response so maybe they've identified you need to install a cadillac when the chevy you have is more than acceptable based on again guidelines criteria then you need to explain that you need to communicate why you're not going to upgrade but maybe that's a future possibility and and uh you know have that kind of conversation because that again builds awareness that this is important i'm not ignoring what you asked for the third thing i'd say is you really need to encourage and, and more importantly empower your employees to take action you know maybe they're not the one making improvements or, or sourcing equipment but you can put them in you know in charge of things you can say look hey that's a great idea here's what i'd like you to do go talk to maintenance go talk to production come up with a plan and how we can do this and let me know what the budget would be looking at would be. And then I'll take a look at it from a budget standpoint. Let them lead the charge. Give them some responsibility for their own safety. If you do everything for them, that can create a tricky situation as well. So you want to give them some ownership. The fourth thing I'd say is that your frontline leaders, as I suggested at the start of our conversation, again, they can't have a mixed message. If safety is important, you can't push them for production over safety. Now, again, nobody would ever say that. Nobody ever say, don't worry about the safety, just get the numbers out. But if you're pushing super hard on hitting targets and hitting numbers without bringing up the fact that, you know, and, and here's a, I'll give you an example of how this would work out. 
Um, so I might say to you, look, I need you to work overtime. We're really far behind, et cetera, et cetera. And there's, there's a conversation. Well, I'm pushing you for production. I want to add into that statement something like, you know, recognizing that people are going to be tired because you're going to be working longer shifts. There's going to be more going on. Do you foresee any safety issues with us doing that? Even that statement alone, it kind of creates a different perspective from the frontline front leaders standpoint that, yeah, production is important, but not at the risk of safety. Right. Um, and then the fifth thing, the last thing I'd say is you want to make sure you're always recording and communicating your efforts. Anything you're looking at, reviewing, doing you want to make sure you're capturing that and communicating that at least quarterly to employees. Here are some things we've done. Here's some things we've looked at and not done for now, but we're planning to do next year. That constant communication is key to ensuring that people are aware and they understand how important safety is you know, to the organization. Do you have any success stories of uh, companies that have implemented all of those? I, I, yeah, there's there's several, and, and I don't have their permission to bring them up, so I'll just use uh, kind of a description here, but there, yeah. there's an organization, a, a plant that I know that, um, we'll just say they produce consumable goods, um, and the plant was taken over by a, a new plant manager probably close to 10 years ago, and so it's been a long journey here, but that plant manager has never, ever once stopped investing in the plant and he's always put people in charge of what he's doing so people that go it's a long-standing plant it's been around probably 50 plus years and people that go in that plant today are just they're blown away with how that plant looks different so what do i mean by that well around communication they've put out tvs and, and all sorts of you know video to keep people informed as to tours that are coming because there's potential safety concerns if you have people touring around the facility right and there's again a simple example but these communication tools keep people informed in a way that ensures they can act in a more safe manner but he's also constantly invested in equipment in upgrading equipment because newer equipment typically has better safety measures better guarding they're built differently to ensure safety uh, he's invested in the plant, taking down walls, opening up areas that were once, you know, hidden corners for forklift. And if it's a hidden corner, he's going to bust that corner out somehow and open that area up to make it safer. So, again, there's been a constant investment. And obviously, to do that requires productivity and, and, and you know, profits on the other end. But he's been able to push kind of both agendas as far as, yeah, profitability and, and production is important. But we're going to take a good chunk of that money and keep investing in our plant and in our people to ensure a safe environment. And, and I, I guess the way that I know that's been successful is he is, I think, one of the last remaining production plants in Canada competing against numerous facilities in the U.S. And obviously there's a, a big pull to try and pull his work into those U.S. plants, but the product production numbers and the profitability is simply too high. And it's not based on product mix. It's, in, it's really based on the continuous investment he's made in his plant and his people, a lot of which comes back to safety. And, and that's what kind of allows him to hold his head high and keeps that plant as a shining star for that company. And I mean, there, there are other examples, but that's the first one that comes to mind. On the flip side, do you have any failure stories where people should imp have implemented safety culture, but it sort of didn't go very well? I mean, yeah, I, I guess I'll resort to my own. I've worked in different facilities that I've had, you know, anything from a simple safety issue where somebody cut their finger. Uh, I told you about the situation with a forklift. We had a situation there. But probably the, the worst one I ever experienced was I had an employee, and this was probably well, 15, 18 years ago now, um, during a night shift, uh, ran into a supporting beam in the facility. Now it was a complete accident. And there was, if you think, if you think about these beams, they weren't big beams, they weren't painted brightly. They had a dark color. 
Um, and ultimately, not only so they were kind of hard to see, especially behind a dark mast that's you know on a forklift. So at the end of the day, when we sat down, we kind of assessed the situation. There was a number of factors at play. You're on night shift, you're tired, the, the beams don't stand out. Uh, luckily, he wasn't hurt. The forklift had quite a bit of damage. The beam had a little bit of damage, but he wasn't hurt. But the bigger issue was if somebody happened to be standing there, they, you know, that mast would have probably crushed them. Um, so we we actually had an investigation and took a lot of uh, actions to improve the situation. But the biggest ones that come out of it are the idea that, you know, for, for decades, people had driven in this facility and had driven on forklifts and never had an issue. But really, in retrospect, that was just luck because, you know, if you've got a, a darker facility, it's not that well lit. You've got dark colored beams and it's nights and you're a little bit maybe not quite as aware as you would be during the day. It's just a, an accident waiting to happen. So those things, unfortunately, happen repeatedly. And it's, it's again, it goes back to old habits. So what we did is we had somebody come in that was kind of an expert in safety and just walk the facility with us and just identify areas where they felt there might be potential risk because we realized through this incident that we only know what we know. And if we're in that facility every day, there's a lot of stuff we're not seeing. Now, I would suggest to you that they gave a ton of recommendations and ideas for us, but we were able to prioritize those and that gave us kind of a list to start moving forward with. So, you know, the good news was nobody was hurt and a big lesson learned there, and that the biggest one being that by getting somebody external to come in and look through your, even again, it could just be a plant manager from down the street. You don't have to go hire somebody. They said, look, I want you to come in and walk my shop floor and give me ideas and examples where maybe I can improve my safety. That alone, typically they're, they're gonna make the time for it, um, can be valuable in helping you get an outside perspective on where you might make improvements because the risk is, as I mentioned, that you know we can all become complacent. So basically getting away from the, well, this is how we've always done it and it seems to work. Having an outside set of eyes is very beneficial. Absolutely. And, and, and that's, you know, that's one of the strategies. I think if you let your, if you empower your employees to identify changes, you act on those changes quickly, you give them the opportunity to lead some of those changes, that's how you start to build a culture around safety. But, but, you know, what's another method or means you might want to incorporate in that to break your own habits? Well, this is where you might get a peer or somebody else to come in and walk your facility and just give you ideas. Because, again, even that employee, even those employees, they're, if they're in that facility every day, there's some things that they just don't see. We, we just become complacent to. So absolutely. Now, what industries would you say are at the forefront of having safe plants? Yeah, it's it's really hard to say. I mean, typically, I, I guess the ones I would go to is any any sort of facility that is, um, if there's an issue that would ultimately impact public safety, those just by way of, of uh, regulation typically uh, are the safest because they're forced, they, they have to be. And, and so, you know, but and to me, a lot of it comes back to leadership in, in the organization. I mean, more and more, when you walk through plants today, you don't see what I used to see. I mean, I remember being in my mid-20s and I went in for an interview to a facility and, and uh, it was dark and dingy. And I remember thinking, wow, I am not working here. <laughs> just just I was more concerned at that age about my, uh, my overall morale. Um, you don't see that so much anymore. Most facilities are well lit and well painted. Um, but again, there's an example where I was touring a facility recently and they had undergone um, initiative to repaint some of the floors and walls. And when I said, why is that? They said, well, we realized that, yeah, we did it maybe, you know, five, 10 years ago, but things get dirty, they get dull and, and it creates a different environment, right? So we want people to see that we're constantly investing in not only the facility, but the safety, the brightness, all that, because when you lift people up, 
in their mood and their awareness, right? They're going to be more attentive to their environment, which is what you, what you really need. So there's a lot of examples I've seen, but it's really hard to peg it to industry other than say that those that are highly regulated are typically the safest because they have to be. But on the flip side, I've seen facilities that are just as safe, that are not regulated, and it's the result of the commitment of leadership, of ownership of that facility, and, and how much they're committed to safety of their employees. And, and I guess the reason for that is they recognize the costs associated with not having as safe an environment as you can. Now, would you see a difference between big companies and small companies and how, they, how safe they are? Not at all. I, I've seen big companies that should have been safer um, because again, and, and to me, this is my own methodology, so it could, I, you know, I can be proven wrong here, but when you get into bigger companies, you get into more people and the more people you have in environments, the busier the environment is, that can make it very tricky to ensure things are safe. There's just a lot going on. Smaller environments, fewer people. Sometimes that can be easier to kind of manage the environment and identify where things are safe or not so safe. So I, I no, I, I, my experience has been it really doesn't matter size of the organization so much. It comes back to, you know, A, the regulations around that environment, obviously, but, you know, just as importantly, ownership, leadership, commitment to safety uh, is really the driver behind the safest environments. Now, switching gears a little bit, uh, how important would you say maintenance is in developing a safe work environment? Well, I think it, it you know it comes down to, and again, every organization is different, you know, specifically the role of maintenance in those organizations. So to me, and it just I'm so I'm going from experience here, maintenance plays a critical role because typically they're the ones that are behind, either they're doing or they're overseeing or they're finding external resources to implement some of the safety. So whether it's installing equipment, right? They're a part of that. Maybe it's just making you know, updates to existing equipment on guarding. Maybe it's painting floors. Whatever the case is, they're typically involved to some degree. So maintenance is a really a, a key driver. The challenge becomes a lot of times maintenance and production don't necessarily have a, a really cohesive relationship, right? They're, they're both pushed for different measures, meaning that production is pushed to get production out, right? Maintenance is pushed to try and make sure equipment is up and running. So a lot of times the battles that I see is where production can't afford the downtime to allow maintenance to be proactive in you know, working on the equipment. So, so maintenance can't be proactive because production isn't allowing them to, but then when a breakdown happens, they're the first one to, to get jumped on by production. So, you know, again, it kind of comes back to leadership and ownership of the facility, of the plant, uh, of the manufacturing facility specifically, as far as how are they looking at maintenance as a contributor to safety? So that they see maintenance as a, you know, playing a critical role, which they do. And if so, what authority, what responsibility are they providing maintenance in order to drive safety forward? So if, if maintenance, for example, believes that a piece of equipment needs to be shut down to install a guard, but there's production numbers need to be hit, does ownership say, well, look, get the production numbers done and then maintenance, you can have it? Or do they say, you know what, if maintenance says this is important, it's important. So if, you know, I guess the question I ask plant managers when I'm, when we're discussing this exact point, how important, you know, what, what role does maintenance play in your safety program? I say, well, look at how many of your safety initiatives is maintenance involved in? And typically to some degree it's all, and okay, so shouldn't they then have kind of overall authority and responsibility uh, to be able to drive this stuff forward? Because if you don't give that to them, you, you instead give it to, in my example, production, then you're kind of, you know, conflicting yourself, meaning, you know, maintenance isn't going to be able to enact on the safe practices, equipment, training, et cetera, that you're trying to, to move forward. So they're a critical player. 
Uh, and again, I think that's something that you know maintenance needs to continue to work with plant leadership on is ensure that they're aware of the role that maintenance plays, you know, because that will allow them more and more freedom and authority uh, to be able to lead safety initiatives. Can you give an example of the do's and don'ts in terms of maintenance to make sure that a plant is safe? Well, I, I, you know, I guess from a maintenance standpoint, again, I'm not in maintenance, so I can only go from, from my experiences. So from a, a maintenance standpoint, something that you want to do uh, is make sure you stay plugged into production. Make sure you understand how equipment is running. Make sure you're talking to people on the production line. So a lot of times if an equipment, you know, piece of equipment breaks down, there might be a work order or something going to fix it. But rarely is there a conversation between the operator and the person that's going to fix it. There is sometimes. And it, again, it depends on your facility, how you have things set up. But a lot of times I find there's it's just a work order. So the maintenance is going out to fix something when it's when it's down based on a work order. And they didn't have the opportunity to speak to the person on the line. So you need to make sure you have that communication to understand what the issues are and ensure that any changes or improvements you're making to that equipment don't affect the, the operator's safe operation of that very equipment. Um, on the don't side, you know, don't get frustrated with, with production people if they're not giving you the time on the line because that they're being pushed in one direction and you're being pushed in another. Recognize that there's just a difference in how our roles are being measured. So that's something you need to kind of take up the line uh, and not take out with somebody that's on the line because I have seen some battles before between production operators and let's say mechanical maintainers or electricians uh, you know, battling over a piece of equipment. And it, it's really not something they need to get into because it's something that somebody above needs to resolve. And if you've got to work with those, those folks every day, it makes a very difficult work environment. You touched on this briefly earlier, but can you speak to uh, the benefits to companies and their leaders of investing time and energy to engage the people in a safety culture? Well, you know, I guess the simple response I give to you there is, is that if you engage your people in a safety culture, it makes things a heck of a lot easier. But more importantly, it's just it's to me, it's common sense, meaning that if people, you know, more people are going to want to come to work and they're going to want to work when they get there, when they're coming to an environment that is continually being upgraded and there's a focus on ensuring safe operation within that facility. If I'm coming to a place that's dingy, the equipment is old, there is no safety uh, guarding or the guarding doesn't quite work. I mean, that sends a different message. And if you think about it, I mean, can, I, I give you again an analogy, which might make this easier. If, you know, when you were young and you're, you wanted to drive your parents' car, your parents have two choices, buy an old piece of crap car, because if you, if you crash it, who cares? Or give you a decent car that runs fairly well, you know, that, that you're gonna be somewhat safe in. Which would they give you, right? Looking back, or if you have kids yourself, you're probably gonna give them the car that you know is not gonna break down, that they're gonna be somewhat safe in. It's the same in a production environment, right? You're going to have to continue to make investments in time, training, and money in order to ensure that that facility is maintained. But by doing so, you're letting people know, at least indirectly, but obviously you know, directly demonstrating this, that they're important, their lives are important, and you want to make sure they come into work every day and they want to show up and they want to be there and they want to be productive. And that's the result of the work environment being safe. Who wants to go into a dingy, unsafe work environment? Right? You're only doing it at that point, probably out of A, habit, or B, for the money. So, you know, and today, the big challenge is retaining people. This is it's something we haven't talked about. This is a key to retaining people, is having a work environment that people actually want to come to work in. Now, in your experience, would you say most of them are the dark and dingy type, or are most companies now going into, you know, having a better working environment? 
No, I, I think it's, as I mentioned earlier, it's, it's the better work environment. I mean, if you if you were to tour facilities here in Canada, for the most part, you're going to find they're all in, in you know good shape. And, and I think uh, that, that the challenge with safety is it's one of those things that's constantly evolving. So you're, you're never really done, right? Especially in today's day and age where you're bringing in new pieces of equipment, you're bringing in more technology. A lot of times there's a lot more hands off, which in one way might seem good, but in the other way, if you're getting different pieces of equipment with different technology and it's more hands off, then you gotta get that equipment to, to talk to one another, right? More robots, it maybe seems safer, but an out of control robot can still smash through a fence and hurt somebody on the other side of the fence. So. You know, I think it's it's we have to realize that we're never done. This is an ongoing journey. Uh, and in order to be safe, we have to constantly be looking at the changes within our plant, new equipment, new people, you know, that are coming in, ensuring that they're up to speed on all our safety requirements and constantly looking at the environment and asking yourself, how can we make this more safe? And again, the easiest way to do that is put that question to your people. And when they bring you ideas, act on. And what that does is it will create this perpetual improvement in your safety and ultimately your safety culture. Now, you mentioned robots. Uh, how do you see autonomous vehicles and AI impacting safety at plants? You know, I, I think it, it, it depends. It depends on how you're using them. It depends on the plant. So one of the first jobs I had when I was in my early 20s, so that I hate to say that was almost 25 years ago, you know, they had autonomous vehicles back then and it would carry huge loads around. But if you ever even got close to it, it would stop. And there was never a risk of anything happening or falling off or hurting anybody. Um, you know, they did get the odd rogue uh, vehicle that would, you know, bump into something and, and not want to stop. But they never, they never touched anybody. So very safe. But again, what we need to consider is as we bring in new equipment and new technology, that changes the dynamics of the work environment. It changes the land. It changes. And again, we've got to be looking at our people saying, okay, well, you know, I, again, I'll give you an example. Let's say we bring in a new press and we install that press and it's the latest, greatest press. Who are we gonna train? Well, typically we're gonna train the people that run the press. But what about the people that work in and around the press that don't run it, they're not on it, but they're working around it. Is there anything they need to be aware of because maybe how material flows into the press is different or how it comes out is different or how we load the dyes are different. So as we invest in new equipment and especially technology, we need to constantly looking at the work environment and asking ourselves what's changed here and, as, and what as a result of these changes do we need to communicate to our people uh, in order to ultimately ensure a work environment continues to be one that is safe to work in. Having been the president of EMC, would you say most manufacturing companies are engaged in a good safety culture? Absolutely, absolutely. You know, again, I was very fortunate to tour facilities across Canada uh, right from east coast to west coast and everything in between and the facilities i toured were always in great shape and the greatest thing uh the greatest opportunity i had in that role was that a lot of the people that i met a lot of the people that invited me in for a tour uh were always more than open to like asking me what else can we do what else should we do so you know i i think generally we have that kind of manufacturing culture here in canada for the most part always looking to improve always looking to make the environment uh, safer and so I think for that, we're very fortunate. If you go into different parts of the world, you'll find, you know, rules, guidelines, et cetera, a little different. And, and as a result, you'll see more safety incidents occur. So I think we're very fortunate here. But, but again, I think the biggest challenge we have before us is with new technology comes new opportunities, but also come new, new risks from a safety standpoint. So we need to be diligent and aware and always looking at the safety of our facilities and our people.
Now, having seen different plants and and companies all across Canada, do you see any localization in terms of safety culture, or do you see it more of a national thing? Well, it, it's always local to the plant, and it really the, the degree to which the employees are engaged in the safety culture, you can really come back and, and, and measure that against leadership. So right from frontline to, to the top of the charts, if you will, um, if there's a, a high focus on safety, then that usually trickles right down. I mean, I'm thinking of one facility, again, I don't have permission to say their name, so I won't, but in Northern Ontario, there's a facility and, and the plant manager took me in a tour. And you could tell, I mean, as we're walking, he's picking stuff up, you know, he found something in the floor, pick it up, put it in the garbage, right? Why? Because, well, that number one, that sends a message. And number two, uh, potentially could be a tripping hazard. So, and, and his people, when I talked to his people, they had the very same impression. You know, you could tell that, and, and, and that's something I learned at a very young age when I ended up leaving a plant for a period of time, was that people observe and respond. So if you're in any sort of leadership role, frontline or otherwise, people watch how you behave, how you act, the things you say, and the people that report to you start to understand that you reflect management, you reflect ownership. Uh, so if, if you're suggesting something, safety is not an issue, uh, they're going to believe that's the overall culture of the facility. So it really comes back again to frontline and, and even senior leadership, talking about safety, being focused on safety, and that sends a message to people. And that's ultimately what it starts to create. That's the foundation of your safety culture. And just wanted to ask you, you've written two books, The Unstoppable Organization and Operational Empowerment. Can you briefly speak about those and how they would relate to safety and maintenance? Sure. I think probably the first book is, is the most relevant uh, operational empowerment. It's really where I took a lot of my experiences in leadership and experiences of those other, you know, a lot of other plant managers and presidents and, and talked about the, the necessity to empower people. And that's at all levels of the organization. And there's a lot of reasons why that I won't get into here. But essentially, in today's day and age, when people have more education than ever before, uh, more information at their fingertips, and, and a greater desire to be part of things. I mean, just look at, you know, even online communities where people are jumping into social media and all sorts of groups because they want to be part of something. So you need to think of your facility as that kind of an area where people actually do want to be part of it. doesn't matter how you how they're acting or things they're saying, you know, you need to ensure that you empower them, give them some responsibility, give them some authority and some autonomy to act on their own. And as a result, you'll get people that are more engaged. And what I really talked about specifically was a lot of us do these, you know, these engagement surveys, but really what drives engagement is people's ability to take charge and to lead initiatives. Again, not saying everybody wants to jump up on stage and lead initiative. But when somebody brings you a problem, don't say, let me fix that. Say, well, how would you suggest we fix that? And if they have some ideas, you say, well, look, how about you go and, you know, see if you can come up with a plan. And, you know, again, if you need my help, I'm here to help you. Just that simple approach starts to create a shift in the culture. And it's something that I did with multiple teams and multiple organizations over the years. And I learned that a lot of top-performing organizations had leaders that did the exact same thing. The second book was really written around the idea that, if you do these things, if you empower not only your employees, but your customers, and again, there's a whole uh, piece behind that I won't jump into here, but what you're really doing is creating an environment today where you're making your business more competitive. Uh, so ultimately, again, allowing, just like we've talked about here, allowing your employees, uh, soliciting their ideas on improving safety, and then when they bring those ideas forward, acting on them quickly, having them be part of the solution creates a whole different environment 
And ultimately, in the second book, The Unstoppable Organization, what I what I set out to prove is taking you know really high growth companies, we're able to measure that growth back to the culture of the people that they have. So how are they high growth companies? Some of these were distributors, some were manufacturers. Um, well, ultimately, it's the safety. They're not having safety issues, right? They're not having to shut down due to safety problems. They're not having fines due to you know not following certain regulations. They're doing everything they're supposed to be doing, and they're letting their employees lead the way. And as a result of that, they're able to grow and scale uh, faster than most companies and be highly profitable in doing so. So that's really what the second book was about. So they're not written specifically about safety, but they're written about building a culture that will help you move your business forward. And there's uh, several manufacturing examples, I would say probably a half dozen at least in both books, but the first book being most heavily focused on engagement and empowerment of your employees. Hey, thank you very much, Sean, for coming on the In Conversation with Mr. O podcast. That was a lot of great information for our listeners to use in their day-to-day operations. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it.